Rising vaccinations, falling infections. What to expect as the pandemic circuit breaker comes to an end tomorrow. Restaurants get ready for the restart. I think a lot of people are looking forward to it, but we're certainly not going to jump into this and go, hey, the party's on here. Why it could be just an appetizer of what's to come. And neighbors shocked by a late night dog attack. Why the victim might surprise you and what happens to the animal now. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. We are nearing the end of BC's COVID circuit breaker. By tomorrow, the bans on indoor dining and group fitness will be lifted. Tomorrow afternoon, the Premier and health officials are going to lay out a plan to safely reopen the province over the next few months. Richard Zussman begins our coverage. It's a lonely Victoria Day for Queen Victoria. Down the road at Peddler Cycling Tours, there's some hope she's about to get some company. On Tuesday at 1 p.m., the province set to shift into the next gear, unveiling a reopening plan, including when people will be encouraged to travel, not just in their own communities, but across B.C. What I'm really hoping for is some real clarity about what can happen in the next 60 to 90 days so people can book. Because if there's no clarity, then people don't, uh, they don't commit, they don't book. And without bookings, they don't come. It will also include details on when we can socially gather again. The homie stutters. And when we can get back to sporting events, theater shows, and concerts. It's been 14 months since a show at the Rickshaw Theater, and time is ticking on 2021. I've got lots of shows on the books for October and November right now, but I can't pull the trigger until we know for certainty. And the longer we wait, I mean, I think... This is about the deadline. I have to know by now, otherwise those shows will go away. It has been months since competitive games have been played on fields across BC or fans have sat in these stands. And there's a hope that youth and adult recreational sport will also be included as part of the reopening plan. We have been waiting to go and we could press a button and be up in 24 hours. Um, we have staff hired for the spring season. Sports could be back in the next few weeks, events likely not until the summer, and faith leaders are planning for in-person religious gatherings this week. Numbers are down, cases are down, and now we can come back and maybe we can come back and not have to go back. Those dropping numbers, a good sign on top of vaccinations going up, but Dr. Bonnie Henry has been clear. The reopening won't be a flipping of the switch, rather a turning of a dimmer, increasing the brightness slowly to that light at the end of the tunnel. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And we have some encouraging news on this holiday Monday when it comes to our COVID-19 numbers. Our three-day total is 974 new cases, including the lowest daily case number, 293, since late November. That brings BC's overall total to 142,347. Fewer than 4,000 of those cases are active. Hospital numbers are trending downward as well, with 292 patients, 96 of them in the ICU. Sadly, we lost 12 more people over the past 72 hours, including one person in their 40s and two people in their 50s. And over the past three days, more than 141,000 vaccinations were given out. 
Keith Baldry joins us now with more on tomorrow's announcement. And Keith, the easing of restrictions, of course, is directly tied to certain numbers trending in the mm -hmm. right direction. It seems like we're on the right path. We are indeed, Chris. So public health officials do look at a number of uh, indicators that tell, tell us how we're doing or not doing with COVID-19. And they look at it over a period of days, not just one day, at least seven days. Take a look at where we've been going the last, since uh, the beginning of the month, since April. Very encouraging. Our daily case average is down a whopping 357 cases a day. Our daily hospital case is down 219. Daily ICU cases are down 68 from the beginning of the month. And we're now on schedule for getting 80% first dose rates, vaccine rates, by mid-June. So this is the target public health has been shooting for. We're vaccinating about 330,000 people a week right now. We're going to have a lot of Pfizer vaccine in June. So the, the uh, targets are, are attainable, they're reachable, and if they continue to stay low, the restrictions will continue to, be, to ease. If those indicators I just showed you, though, go the other way in the summer, look for the restrictions to be restored. But I'm betting that we're going to have a, a much freer summer than we did last year. We've got a lot of good things going for us, uh, for sure. Ontario today started giving second doses of AstraZeneca. Obviously, there's lots of folks mm -hmm. out there with first shots of AstraZeneca. What do we know about when that could happen here? Yeah, we don't have much AstraZeneca. We've got about 120, 130,000 doses uh, that are being stored for second dose purposes. No one else is getting first doses right now. Uh, so again, the first doses were administered back in mid-March to farm workers, food processing workers and such. They're going to be the first ones in line. 13 weeks now is the elapsed interval between the first and second dose. So those people who first got AstraZeneca back in mid-March, likely looking at mid-June for their second dose. And we're hoping we get more AstraZeneca because about 270 25,000 people in total, including myself, got AstraZeneca. And right now we've got less than half the doses to give those, that group of people their second dose. But we're betting we're going to get some more at least at some point over the summer. And still waiting on the results of that mix and match study to see if yeah. maybe a Pfizer vaccine would work as well. Exactly. Okay, Keith, thanks very much for that. We'll talk to you later this week. BC's hospitality industry is gearing up for the end of the circuit breaker tomorrow. As Aaron MacArthur reports, they're hoping it won't just be a return to previous restrictions, but something even better. It's business as unusual at Mythos Taverna in North Vancouver. A busy day prepping for a largely takeout crowd. Tuesday, the plan is to be open for limited seating indoors. Going from almost 200 seats to 85 to 25 on the patio, like it'd be nice to get that number to go the other way, go back up, you know? With case numbers lower and more vaccinated people, staff and customers, the restaurant industry says operators should feel comfortable being open at the level before the circuit breaker was announced at the end of March. The restaurant industry wants clear answers though on longer term plans to increase seating capacity. I'm, I'm assuming that once we open, that we don't close and we, we keep the certainty of industry ahead of us. That's what's most important right now. Not everyone will be open Tuesday. Fable Diner doesn't have a patio and has been solely focused on takeout for the last two months. Ramping up requires supplies to be ordered and delivered, staff rehired and trained. It could take three days to get the doors open. It's important for us to make sure that um, the room is reset. So when we're open, we want to make sure that we're, you know, learn from what we did before and get ready kind of like just on the ground running. Details of what the restart for restaurants will look like coming Tuesday. Aaron MacArthur, Global News.
With BC teens and tweens now eligible to get the shot, experts are working to crush conspiracy theories that falsely suggest COVID-19 immunization can lead to infertility. Catherine Urquhart has more on the myths and why doctors are warning women there are much worse consequences of not getting vaccinated. British Columbians have been lining up for weeks, most relieved to get vaccinated. But some young women are hesitant, having seen reports on the internet that falsely link vaccines to infertility. It's concerning that myths are floating around. My my fear is that it will put women off from getting the vaccine. The Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine has been the primary target of conspiracy theories and disinformation, focused on a specific part of the vaccine related to a spike protein. There was this myth that propagated in late 2020 related to syncetin and whether that was uh, similar to the part of the placenta that needs to stick to the uterus and invade and, and cause a healthy pregnancy. And that myth has been debunked. Doctors in BC and around the world have been working to educate people. We've now vaccinated 100 million people and fertility rates has not changed one bit. In the US, this video was released. No, getting the COVID-19 vaccine will not affect your fertility, now or in the future. At Vancouver's Pacific Centre for Reproductive Medicine, doctors are also advising women to consider the negative impacts of not getting vaccinated. We know that COVID-19 is really dangerous in pregnancy. If you're a pregnant person and you get COVID, there's a 5 to 10% chance you end up in the hospital, and there's a 2 to 4% chance that you end up in the ICU. Women urged to believe the science and ignore the conspiracy theories, theories that undoubtedly will continue to spread on social media. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Neighbors wake up to discover terror in the back alley. A man viciously attacked by a dog, but he was no intruder. The shocking chain of events that even had police trying to use a taser on the animal, next on the News Hour. The sneaky artist drawing a hundred faces in a unique fundraiser for India coming up later on the news hour. And with COVID throwing Major League Baseball and NFL schedules a major curveball, a Vancouver company has come to the rescue. How it made it to the big leagues later. Right now, though, the peace and quiet of the holiday Monday in the Arbutus Heights neighborhood was shattered not long after midnight by a man screaming. As Grace Key reports, it turns out he was being attacked by his own dog. So the attack happened just in this laneway house behind me here at about 1.30 in the morning. From what we understand, the dog owner was trying to escape, so he ran down this alleyway here, but the dog soon followed and continued the attack. Eventually, later on this afternoon, conservation officers were called in to help. The Rottweiler was tranquilized and carried out. Neighbors were the ones who first called 911 this morning after hearing the dog owner screaming for help. When officers arrived, they found the dog violently attacking the man, gnawing at his arm, and according to police, flesh was flying everywhere. Police first tasered the dog, and when that didn't work, an officer fired at the dog. It survived and ran back into the house, and that's where it was for several hours before calling 
conservation officer arrived. One neighbor who didn't want to be on camera says the owner did have difficulty controlling the dog. Yeah, I think it's pretty, pretty scary because it could have been it could, have, it could have happened like earlier or at a time that people were around. I'm kind of happy that it happened at night. At the same time, I, I feel for, for the man uh, because he was shouting for a long time for help. The dog owner was taken away to hospital. His condition is unclear right now. As for the dog, bylaw officers did take the dog away. Its future is unclear at this point. In Vancouver, Grace Key, Global News. And some scary moments for people using the West Vancouver seawall on Friday morning. A 61-year-old woman started randomly assaulting people. Around Bellevue and 21st, she allegedly inappropriately touched and tried to grab a one-year-old child. When officers attended, the woman had already left the scene, but callers to 911 reported she had moved on, the, or moved on to harass an elderly woman and a 13-year-old boy. She then attacked a gardener at Navy Jack Park. Bystanders held the woman until officers arrived. We are still investigating this, this incident. Um, it was quite frightening for all those that witnessed it. Um, we don't know what motivated her. We, we are aware that mental illness did play a large factor and contributing factor in this incident. Um, so we're not quite sure whether or not criminal charges will be recommended. We'll be consulting with Crown Council to make that determination. The woman was taken into custody, uh, a North Vancouver woman taken into custody under the Mental Health Act and went to hospital for psychiatric evaluation. At least four businesses have been destroyed in a large fire in downtown New Westminster. The flames broke out around 3 o'clock this morning in the back of a building housing a nightclub at Columbia and Church Streets. A tattoo parlor and two restaurants are among the businesses gutted. The owner of the Heritage Grill, which has been here for 16 years, says he was working on a reopening plan when the devastation hit. No one was hurt, but firefighters say the fire was very difficult to fight. The building, it's well over 100 years old. Uh, lots of void spaces, lots of renovations over the years. So um, fires tends to travel through those buildings fairly rapidly. So we had a complete uh, roof collapse uh, on the back side of the building, and, and now the roof's collapsed on, the, on the, the alpha side of the building. The fire burned for several hours with crews dousing hot spots throughout the day. The cause is still under investigation. Just ahead, the fight in the forest. Protesters committed to stopping old-growth logging and RCMP committed to removing them. But first, what's driving demand for Canadian lumber and how that's impacting the price of home construction? Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC in partnership with Pacific Blue Cross, flexible small business health benefits for challenging times. We recently told you about the increase in thefts of lumber as prices soar. And now it looks like the high cost of lumber is going to be with us for some time. Home building and home renovations are driving demand. Ted Chernecki reports. If you just finished that new deck or home renovation, you can rest uncomfortably tonight knowing you paid top dollar for just about everything, especially lumber. It has come down a bit from a couple of months ago, but it's still two to three times what it was a year ago, which is when they built this house. And a year later, they built another one just like it. 
it's the same specs. We're putting the same specs in the same house, and we are now $94,000 increased in cost. That's nothing to do with land. This is totally house cost only. COVID really infected the supply chain in all kinds of ways on all matter of product. They thought we were going to have a very severe recession, um, and so they cut back. So dealers cut back on inventories, producers cut back on production. Instead, as people stayed home staring at the walls, they started thinking about renovating. And boom, went the home construction business. It's so weird to think that just over a year ago, it was it was essentially a bloodbath in the industry. We had 144 curtailment announcements between January of 20. Uh, 2019 and the first quarter of 2020. It was it was a terrible time, and now we've had this complete turnaround. BC lumber producers are now reaping profits to balance the deficits from that bloodbath. But there's only so much product they can produce, given allowable cuts, pine beetle and wildfire damage, and unprecedented worldwide demand, especially from the Americans, who can't or won't produce enough wood to build all those homes the next generation wants. Lumber prices are therefore expected to stay high for a long while, which is why the U.S. Home Builders Association is asking the Biden administration to get rid of that 9% tariff on softwood lumber imported from Canada. Instead, Washington, late last week, doubled the tariff. It's always curious to us why you know, U.S. consumers are actually being penalized by their own industry by having these duties in place. The U.S. Lumber Coalition disagrees, saying the tariffs have little to do with the high price of lumber, which they say is essentially demand-driven. Ted Chernecki, Global News. An unusual twist today in the ongoing battle over logging on Vancouver Island. Yet another blockade popped up on the road to the Ferry Creek watershed, but as Kylie Stan reports, this time it was manned by loggers. It was industry versus environmentalists near Ferry Creek Monday morning. He said, if you're going to blockade us, we're going to blockade you. A group protesters identified as forestry workers took a stand at the gates leading to the cut blocks. Protesters claim they called them names and threatened anyone preventing them from getting to work. They told us that we were ignorant and threw a rock and it hit me in the arm. Once again, officers moved in, the loggers moved out, <laughs> while protesters walked through the police line. Their convictions stronger than ever. I have a love for the trees, for the forest, for the community that's involved. It's been a week since RCMP began enforcing the BC Supreme Court injunction granted to Teal Cedar products in April of this year. In that time, 48 arrests have been made, 43 for breaching the injunction, and five for obstruction. Monday, another five were added to that list. RCMP is also investigating the vandalization of a teal cedar products vehicle. Its brake lines were cut and engine tampered with. All this despite the Pachidot First Nation, whose territory encompasses the Ferry Creek watershed, also taking a stand, with repeated calls for protesters to move on. And now forestry workers are doing the same. Resource communities up and down the island and throughout British Columbia rely on those uh, well-paying jobs and the spin-off stumpage, taxation, and salaries of these workers pays for forest industry workers are not the bad guys. Forest policy 
It's the problem. In a statement last week, Minister of Forest Lands and Natural Resources Katrine Conroy said there is a better way for BC to manage old growth forests and our government will work collaboratively with all of our partners to do this. We know there is much more work to do. And despite the ongoing protests, work of a different kind is underway. Teal Jones began its forest operations in the Kaikous watershed on Friday. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Another battle is brewing in the Fraser Valley over two proposals for new tourist attractions. The B.C. government has set up a kind of competition between the two. One of the projects for Bridal Falls near Chilliwack is a gondola modeled on the wildly popular Sea to Sky gondola near Squamish. It's backed by the local Chiam First Nation, which is a partner in the project. The other proposal is for a year-round mountain mega-resort, including multiple lifts and two villages. Both projects are planned for the same crown land. There is concern among some, in some quarters about the extent of the motorized use in the backcountry. And we think our project provides an opportunity to bring a bit more uh, regulation to that activity, uh, to, to try and minimize some of the negative consequences to wildlife and also to the, just the foliage in the backcountry. Uh, but it clearly is a, a project that's endeavoured to and has succeeded in getting a lot of community support. The sightseeing gondola has been out there for uh, five years, and we've really been in the marketplace for closer to five to six weeks. And in that period, we have gained just tremendous support within the, the community, the business community, uh, we've reached out to uh, the, the communities beyond just Chilliwack and the Fraser Valley Regional District. We're talking to mayors within the other communities of the Fraser Valley. We're getting very, very good support from, from those people. The B.C. government is asking for input on both projects, but has no timeline for a decision on which one will end up getting the green light. Still ahead, calls to take another look at a murder case. I'm so tired of sitting in prison. How two sisters got the support of David Milgard, once wrongfully convicted himself. But first, the cutest tour guide ever, helping children navigate their way through the hospital. South of the border, optimism is spreading as fast as the virus once did. While the pace of U.S. vaccinations has slowed considerably, about half the population has now received at least one dose. And with the unofficial start of summer just a week away, many Americans are determined to make up for lost time. A week till Memorial Day, but America is already on the pandemic rebound. Festivals, parades, sporting events, graduations, and proms. Well, we're due for it. Last year we lost the summer because of COVID, so this year it's going to be a big summer. Tonight, the closely watched CDC numbers all point in the right direction. New COVID cases at their lowest level since last June. Hospitalizations and deaths down dramatically. With nearly 50% of Americans having received at least one vaccine dose, nearly 40% fully vaccinated. I just feel more like myself, like back to normal, kind of. It's not just about you. It's about your obligation. Today, President Biden and Dr. Fauci appeared with several YouTube stars encouraging young people to get vaccinated. The science behind both the safety and the efficacy 
of the vaccine is truly extraordinary. Now New Jersey says it's keeping its mask mandate in place for all schools and summer camps, while both L.A. and New York City schools say all kids will be back in the classroom this fall. I think a lot of school districts are probably going to start the school year in masks, and, and that's going to be largely out of a sense of uncertainty. Meanwhile, the CDC is investigating a few dozen cases of young teens who developed myocarditis, an inflammation of the heart muscle, after receiving their second dose. Though the symptoms were mild, and it's not clear the vaccine caused the condition. This is unfortunately a condition that you can see in children and, and in adults. And so far they're saying no, there, there aren't more cases than we would expect. Strong words today from the head of the World Health Organization on the global distribution of coronavirus vaccines. Almost 18 months into the defining health crisis of our age, the world remains in a very dangerous situation. WHO Director General Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus calling out the scandalous inequity in vaccine distribution, saying it is perpetuating the pandemic. He's now urging vaccine manufacturers to give COVAX the first right of refusal on new volumes of vaccines. The ongoing vaccine crisis is a scandalous inequity that's perpetuating the pandemic. More than 75% of all vaccines have been administered in just 10 countries. There is no diplomatic way to say it. A small group of countries that make and buy the majority of the world's vaccines control the fate of the rest of the world. And now two indigenous sisters who have claimed their innocence for nearly three decades are seeking to have their case overturned. The women say they were convicted of a crime they didn't commit. And as Global's Jill Croto reports, they're getting support from a fellow Canadian who knows exactly what they're going through. At the time he was released from prison and finally exonerated of a murder he had nothing to do with, he had spent more time behind bars than he had been alive. Ever since he was freed in 1992, David Milgard has been a tireless champion for others just like him. It's tough on me. It's not an easy thing to get back out into the community after you spent half your life inside a place. But it's because he's been there. He can't walk away from those he believes in. Now living in Cochrane, he wants to right the wrongs for two sisters who have claimed their innocence ever since the day they were put in prison almost 30 years ago. They crucified this family. Justice delayed is justice denied. Stop holding the wrongfully convicted in Canada hostage. Free these people now. Odelia Cuisance and her sister Nerissa were convicted of second-degree murder and sentenced to life for the killing of a Saskatchewan farmer in 1993. This month, oh, oh, I'm so tired of sitting in prison. Every day my children ask me, when are you coming home, Mom? When are you going to be home? Narissa is in hiding and is wanted on a Canada-wide warrant for parole violations, insisting she won't turn herself in. Their cousin has since confessed to the crime. I was able to secure the complete transcripts of the girls' trial, and I started reviewing it. It was like 1,500 pages. There was a lot of 
concerns with the way that this investigation had taken place. There wasn't a shred of physical evidence. Indigenous groups are calling for Canada's Justice Minister and the Prime Minister to intervene and expedite the women's release and acquittal. It's very important that um, they actually step in and, and, and commit to ensuring that they address this and that the uh, sisters go home. Like, this isn't enough's enough. No one from the federal departments returned our request for comment. The sisters vow they aren't giving up. Let there be justice for me and my sister Narissa. It's time. Time too precious to waste, with freedom hanging in the balance. She needs to, to nurture and to heal from this ordeal. Jill Crotel, Global News. In health matters tonight, the Surrey Hospitals Foundation is rolling out an innovative app to support young surgery patients at Children's Health Center. Hi, my name is Chip. Welcome to my home. Pretty cute little guy. My Hospital Pal is an augmented reality app featuring Chip, the friendly AR squirrel. The virtual character is tasked with guiding young patients through hospital orientation and giving them a sense of what to expect before surgery. Surrey Hospital's Foundation CEO says it's designed to help ease anxiety. And we do have a lot of families who perhaps English is not their first language. And so his vivid animation is very clear and easy to understand. And he takes children through the, some of the steps. Some of the more frightening things our research tells us that uh, uh, cause children anxiety. Things like, if you think about it, surrendering your clothes, putting on uh, the pajamas uh, before you go into surgery or the gowns, putting uh, wristbands on. So he just makes everything a little bit friendlier and introduces uh, healthcare workers in a friendly and a way that they're accustomed to as users, regular users of animation and uh, games. Chip will start the job at the surgical unit next week, and if he's well-received, he might be deployed to other areas of the hospital as well. Just ahead, why it's not easy finding a partner in the pandemic. It's kind of a condition of dating me that you make an appointment to get vaccinated. How vaccine status is increasingly tied to desirability in the dating world. And later, a local artist inspired to help India one drawing at a time. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. All right. When your meteorologist is wearing one of those yellow rubber rain slickers, you know that there is some rain in the forecast. All you're missing is the Southwester hat there, uh, Christy. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. I had to only go partially here because it's not a complete soaker. It's just that drizzly sort of dreary kind of day. Not a great way to finish off the weekend, that's for sure. But it wasn't the case around the rest of the province. There were other parts that saw some sunshine. Uh, we've got a wet week ahead, Chris, but I'm going to break down the, the points at which you will see some sunshine. But first, I want to really talk about the flood season so far. Uh, we've had about 23% of the snowpack melt. That's an early season melt, which is great news 
news. Let's look at this graph just showing you the Mission Creek area where they've had significant melt, almost 50%. Last year, the line in green had heavy snowpack and it lasted right into July, whereas we're almost halfway through in terms of that melt. But the problem is, although that's great news for the flood scenario, it also means that we won't have a lot of moisture as we head into the months of July and August. So it is definitely trending towards a drought type of season this summer. So a heads up on that. And when we look at the amount for that southeastern corner, well below average in terms of the snowpack, all in that Okanagan and southeastern corner, definitely cause for concern. Now, in terms of the flood, I want you to note if you're in that southeastern section, doesn't mean you're totally in the clear. You still would be susceptible to a, a major rain event, but certainly in terms of snowmelt, much in the clear. But northern region still well above average, so watching those areas very closely. As for our region, showers. Yes, you'll need the rain slicker tomorrow morning. And by the afternoon, evening hours, it should start to ease up. So some breaks of blue sky. But the opposite for those of you in the interior. So rainfall expected through the Columbia and the Thompson area. Okanagan Valley, you should wake up to dry conditions. But we're going to see pop-up showers and thunderstorms tomorrow. All the way from the central interior, Caribou region, right down through the Okanagan Valley. So eye on the sky tomorrow, absolutely. Prince George right down through Quinell, Williams Lake and down right into Osuyus. Now for the south coast, a bit of a different ballgame. We'll see unsettled weather to start with tomorrow and then things will start to brighten up. Vancouver Island, you'll see it brighten up earlier. For us, it may not happen until the dinner time or evening hour. So definitely a wet week ahead as you can see here, but it looks like we clear out just in time for the weekend once again. So the timing is pretty good over the last little while for sunshine. And uh, I like this shot. This is from Rianne and this is in the Burnaby area taking flight. Apparently goslings don't actually aren't able to actually fly until they're about three months old so I'm not sure if they're practicing trying here or maybe they're just running scared but uh, uh, neat shot action shot there a little coaching maybe they're being coached that looks pretty cool yeah. thanks very much Christy all right dating can be tough at the best of times but as those who are single will tell you the pandemic has made everything even more challenging as Global's Catherine Ward reports, you might have a lot more luck making that love connection if you're willing to roll up your sleeve. The pandemic has dealt a tough hand for those looking for love. You don't really get a feel of exactly how the person is when you're just chatting with them online. While I have been out of the dating game for some time, my friends tell me the stakes feel so much higher with COVID-19. I found that I was always the person having to create the boundaries around physical distancing and to state my boundaries and those things. And some guys were into it and some guys weren't. Pre-pandemic, people might have been searching for a partner of a certain age, gender, religion or background. But in 2021, many want to know your vaccine status. People do want to know and people are asking up front. Even if being vaccinated isn't like 100% your thing or important to you, your health should be. In the U.S. on Friday, the government teamed up with several dating websites trying to encourage people to get a shot. Social distancing and dating were always a bit of a challenging combination. On OkCupid, for example, users in the U.S. can now display badges indicating they've been vaccinated and also filter out people who haven't. If a person participates, the company also provides incentives. They plan to expand this globally. It's not clear if other companies will follow suit. In a statement from Bumble, a spokesperson says vaccine badges and complimentary super swipes are currently U.S. only. 
It's a kind of vaccine passport in some ways. Still, some experts are not discounting the idea. Proof of vaccination opens doors to all kinds of things like maybe theaters, travel, schools, certain jobs. Why not dating? Because while a vaccine may or may not be a deal breaker. I did meet someone online. I knew that he was eligible for a vaccine and he just hadn't signed up yet. It very well could be part of your love story. It's kind of a condition of dating me that you make an appointment to get vaccinated. And he said, OK, I will. Catherine Ward, Global News, Toronto. There you have it. All right, Squire joins us now with a look ahead to sports. What a day for watching golf. <laughs> yep. Talk about turning back the clock. Uh, the man who's now become, can I say poster boy or poster man for the 50-plus crowd? Phil Mickelson, PGA champion. Although I believed it until I actually did it, there was, um, there was a lot of doubt, I'm sure. And apparently not only did he win, he did it in a crowd that uh, assumingly uh, no longer fears COVID. Is that a word, assumingly? I'll just <laughs> assume that they no longer fear COVID. I mean, it sure doesn't look like it. You're right. Also coming up, a local artist draws on his own talents and your pictures to help people in India. Squires back, and uh, <laughs> yeah, well, if you were an Oilers fan, what a weekend. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, that is shocking, actually. Uh, if you think it's rough being a Canucks fan, having to spend most off-seasons watching playoff games on TV while your favorite team tries to figure out how to get there next year, well, it might be better, at least in 2021, than being an Oilers fan right now. Their team has the best player in the world, a really good sidekick, and they're down 3 nothing to Winnipeg with Game 4 about to start shortly. And they lost last night in overtime against the Jets, despite leading in the third period 4-1. Now that's heartbreak. If you feel sorry for yourself or you're going to wallow around for a few days, then we're, then we're going to be in trouble. If we get back on the horse and get out there and get to work and do some of the same things that we did last night well, take some of those the situations where we kind of beat ourselves, then, uh, then we're, we'll be fine. We'll have a chance to win. So the Jets could put the Oilers out of the playoffs. Montreal, Cole Caulfield in the lineup tonight, trying to get a 2-1 lead on Toronto. Of course, Montreal won game one. That was a shocker. William Nylander scores here to give the Leafs a 1-0 lead in the second. It was 1-1. And then West fans, Morgan Riley scores. And that's the last goal that would be scored in this game. Toronto's now up 2-1 in its series with the Habs. Well, it was quite a story, wasn't it? Phil Mickelson at the age of 50 doing something nobody has ever done before in golf, and that's win a major at that, well, I guess advanced age if you're a golfer. I mean, there are some places in America where Phil Mickelson could get a senior special breakfast at the age. So, you know, it's, it's very possible that this is the last tournament I ever win, like if I'm, if I'm being realistic. But it's also very possible that I may have had... Uh, a little bit of a, a breakthrough in some of my focus and, and um, maybe I go on a little bit of a run. I don't know. But um, the point is that there's no reason why I or anybody else can't do it 
at a later age. It just takes a little bit more work. A lot of things do at a later age. Uh, you may not know that when Major League Soccer, Major League Baseball, and the National Football League and other sports organizations around the world need to make a new schedule for their season, they call on a Canadian company, Optimal Planning Solutions, a company that builds the software to figure out who plays where and when. And the head office is in Yaletown. Rick Stone's office is compact just like his company is. There's three of us. There's myself, uh, my partner, Kirk Pinio in Kamloops, and, and now my, my son is also helping out as well. I originally was doing uh, manufacturing scheduling, and so I took the same uh, skills and software that we used in manufacturing scheduling some 20 years ago and just started applying it to sports scheduling. And so now this company helps solve some of the biggest puzzles in sports, putting schedules together for the likes of Major League Baseball and the NFL. With the NFL at this point, our contribution is really just to support the software. So we've built the software for them. There are eight. And as a recent NFL video shows, that software works on a schedule that takes a whole lot of computing power to finalize. There are more combinations of NFL schedules than there are you know, grains of sand on the planet. They're running three to 4,000 uh, 16-core CPUs 24-7. So they have like a warehouse of computers that are solving these schedules every day for four months. And why it takes the NFL four months to arrange a schedule is due in large part to television considerations. The biggest thing that the NFL is after is how do we get the most eyeballs onto our product? We've got a limited number of assets, games, 272. So they're trying to get figure out what are their very, very best games of the 272 and the most compelling games and get them on in the slots they think that can get the most people watching their games. And you may be wondering, how did a little company from BC become a teammate of the NFLs? They just happened to be doing a uh, request for proposals to a number of large American uh, consulting companies and said, well, sure, go ahead and throw your name in there. And so we did, and we ended up winning the bid. We beat the NASA's and the KPMG's and, you know, those, those types of corporations. All right, Blue Jays and Rays from Dunedin. Vladimir Guerrero, two times today, he put a ball over the wall. This one ties at 5-5. They would go to an 11th inning and in the 11th, Tampa Bay unleashes a seven-run barrage. And with that, they have now won 11 games in a row. And there you go. And the Jays have a streak going the other way, don't they? Yeah, I don't know how many games it is. Not quite 11. Not quite 11. Yeah. All right, thanks very much, Squire. Up next, the sneaky artist hoping to save lives in India. Just before we get to the sneaky artist, a young salmon arm entrepreneur has found a way to share his culture and also give back. Ten-year-old Armand Dhaliwal calls himself the Samosa Kid, and for good reason. He orders the tasty treats from a Vancouver supplier, and then he and his friends package them up, freeze them, and fill orders from around the region. Armand has decided to make donations to charities, locally and abroad. I donated 3,800 to India Kelsa Aid and 
I donated $500 to the local hospital in my town, and I did a Mother's Day giveaway for, to five moms in need for gift cards. Armand Samosas sell out almost every week, and he intends to keep on funneling some of his profits to charities, including an upcoming Father's Day giveaway. Well done, Armand. All right, as India's COVID-19 death toll surpasses 300,000, a Vancouver man is drawing on his artistic skills to raise money. Every sketch helps fight the crisis crippling the South Asian country. Jay Durant has more on the 100 Faces for India project and the sneaky artist behind it. Nishant Jen is being sneaky again, sketching random people and random scenes from the spot at Vancouver's David Lamb Park. The idea is that I go to places where I expect to see magic. So any place that's packed with people has magic. This is how he learned to draw. Six years ago, he was studying to be an engineer and then realized his real passion was for something entirely different. I wanted to be an artist. I was a very bad artist. I used to make stick figure comics on the internet. The Sneaky Artist Instagram account has a strong following. Now Nishant is using his talent to help raise money for India's fight against COVID-19. I started this project called 100 Faces for India, uh, soliciting portrait requests from 100 people online in exchange uh, for the portrait that I would give them. So I'm giving my time, they give me the money, and then that money goes to India. He quickly surpassed his goal of 100 faces, so the fundraising keeps growing. I think I'm going to keep doing it because as long as people want to give, it's something I can do, and it's something that brings them a lot of happiness. Vancouver has only been home for the past five months, and he's finding inspiration for his art every time he steps outside. I try to go to new neighborhoods, I try to go to new parts that I've never seen, things I've never seen before, people doing things I've never seen before. An endless stream of unique scenes and subjects, although he may not have found what he was looking for on this day. His sight lines were obstructed. <laughs> Glad to oblige. Art is flattering. <laughs> Jay Durant, Global News. That is pretty cool. I know Sophie's ordered one, and I got online to order one as well, too. He's a real good dude, and uh, yeah, if you can contribute, hopefully at the end of it, you get a very cool sketch from him as well. All right, let's check in with uh, Christy yeah. for last word on weather before we go. Thanks. So uh, we are going to continue with a chance of showers tonight and through the morning hours tomorrow. Not a soaker of a day tomorrow. We should be drier by the end of the day with some breaks of blue sky, but still a little bit below seasonal. And uh, that will be the case, it looks like, right through the week. So keep your rain jackets handy, but hopefully we climb out of it over the weekend. I got a bright yellow one around my house somewhere. I'll have to match you there, Christy. <laughs> I'll see if I can find it. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night. I hope you enjoy the last of the long weekend.